0: One of the great pastoral purposes found in Hebrews is encouraging the faithful to persevere. So the preacher uses numerous arguments to show the need and the provision and the reward for enduring to the end. He made this point most recently back in chapter 10 and verse 36. Where it says, for you have need of endurance. Persevering is not an option in the Christian life. It's an absolute necessity. And it's not a perseverance of any and every kind. This is an endurance, according to this, in the will of God. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He said, you started with faith. Now you need to endure in believing and acting in faith. Why? So that you can receive what is promised. So that you can get to glory. So that you can see God. So you can see the reward that was promised. Think of all the ways that's been said in chapter 11. Those who begin in faith... Always experience struggles and suffering in the Christian life and they must keep on living obediently by faith they must do the will of God from a heart of faith for it's only those who endure to the end in faith that preserve their souls chapter 10 verse 39 again endurance is not optional Then to show what we have called the virtue and the vigor of true saving faith. The preacher spends all of chapter 11 defining saving faith and then illustrating it. Faith, this chapter says, not only accepts the promises of the word of God as true, but it also lives according to their sensed reality. Remember verse 1 faith, saving faith, hears the promises of God and makes them real, recognizes that there is an unseen future reality that's more compelling than even the world around them. Things they can touch pale in comparison to the reality and the force of the promises of God in the heart and mind of the believer. That's true saving faith. So in example after example, the men and women of faith first believe God. And then what do they do? They order their lives according to it. They value the promise of eternal life with God above all else even until the end of life, and all of them die in faith, not having received their ultimate goal. And that brings us to chapter 12. And it begins with the preacher returning to make the point about endurance again. (laughs) He begins with the word, therefore. This tells us that because we are part of the one family of God that was just talked about in verses 39 and 40, because we are part of the one people of God, like all of the exemplars of faith in chapter 11, we too must persevere in the faith. It wasn't just them that need to continue. We need to continue. If we're going to be made perfect if we're going to reach the goal of the promise so this entire chapter chapter 12 is taken up in making various practical applications to believers and this first one is of course found in verses 1 and 2 and its content is this you must persevere to the end you must persevere to the end It's found in these words at the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'll have two major points today. The first one is this. Let's look at this principal duty. By principal, I mean primary. One man has said the great duty of the believer is to persevere, is to continue on in the faith. Well, here the exhortation is put this way, run the race with endurance. Now, that's an image well-known in that day taken from the Greek athletic games, and particularly from one of them, the marathon race. And since a right understanding of these verses depends on our knowledge of this image, let me explain what's being pictured in verses 1 and 2. The Greek games, what we might call the Olympics, were not casual amusements to them or to their Roman imitators who loved all things Greek like this. The Greek games were a serious civil institution with critical significance in the lives of the participants. The prizes weren't medals, but honor and glory power, prestige, position, both for now and until the end of their life. In the marathon, the course was marked out, and there was a reviewing stand constructed at the end. What we would call the finish line was where crowds of people sat, and these people were actually the judges for the marathon. How did you get to be a judge? Well, you had to be a previous competitor and finisher, even victor, in the race to sit there. The runners, who removed every encumbrance, ran virtually unclothed. And after each race, the winner took his place in the stands and watched with the others while others competed. And unlike our modern games, winners didn't receive their prize after each event, but they were crowned together at the end of the day. It doesn't take a lot of imagination, does it, to see how that's a beautiful picture of a certain aspect of the Christian life. And that's what he's going to talk about and we'll try to unpack in the next few moments. That's the image behind our verses. Now, strenuous athletic contests are one of the common New Testament ways of picturing the Christian life. For example, you can think of how Paul will sometimes describe Christian experience in terms of running or wrestling. There are several predominant images of the Christian life in the New Testament. There's the image of pilgrimage. The Christian life is compared to a wilderness journey aimed toward home. There's the image of warfare in which the Christian life is compared to a military contest against the enemies of the soul. And there is this one. The Christian life is like an athletic contest. Now, each of these ways of picturing the Christian life helps us to learn different truths that lend balance to our walk as Christians. For some people, I, I, know a, I know a couple who the only way they look at the Christian life is that it's warfare. There is no other picture to them. They are focused, I might say fixated, on making everything either an act of an ally or the act of the enemy, and it's the only lens through which they see the Christian life. Well, that's not a wrong way by itself to look at the Christian life, but it might well turn into an imbalanced way to look at the Christian life because the Christian life is more than war. There's rest in the Christian life. There's forgiveness. There's peace. There's friendship. There are all kinds of other things, and these other images like sport and journeying and other things help us to be more balanced, more careful, and therefore more secure in living our Christian life. These verses tell us that the life of faith is like a long distance race. Not any race, not a sprint, The preacher is likening the life of faith to a marathon, a race that requires endurance. So what does this image require of the Christian runner? And let me give you four answers to that. First, it requires exertion. Spiritual exertion. You know, running a a marathon requires a tremendous exertion of effort. It takes a lot of energy. And so the Christian life demands the vigorous exercise of the body and soul. You can't merely think or feel or talk in order to run the Christian race. You must move. You must not only know the doctrines of righteousness, but you must actively deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You must actually run the race. It's not enough to walk around saying, I'm a marathoner, I'm a marathoner. You have to run the marathon. That takes exertion. That's hard. It's laborious. Some people have the idea that God will run it for you. No, he won't. No, he won't. Oh, he will give you the strength to do it. Yes, amen. But you must run the race. You must run the race. You can't be satisfied with letting go of all human effort and letting God. Because if you do that, you will not finish the race. You will not finish the race. You can't only be a hearer or a reader or a talker of the word. You must actually be a doer of the word. That's running the race. That's finishing the marathon. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20 that the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. It consists, he says, in power. In doing by the Holy Spirit. By doing, you doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians get tired they get afraid, they get distracted. I know some of you have had very difficult last weeks, and you felt like giving up. Most, if not all of us, sympathize with you because marathoning, spiritual marathoning is hard. but in response to these attempts at stopping our exertion, we must use the strength that God supplies to keep going, to keep running the race. Now, this intense effort is not without its pleasures. You know, accomplished long distance runners experience something called the runner's high. Now, some of you don't believe that exists, Many, many decades ago, many decades ago, I was a cross country runner. I've only run one marathon. But I can remember being at the end of my high school career in such good shape that about a mile down the road on a daily eight mile run, I would laugh uncontrollably for joy. I know what the runner's, I know that it's real. I know the runner's high is a euphoria that I don't know how else to describe. Now, growing up in a good Baptist fundamentalist home, I never did drugs. So I don't, I don't know how it compares, but I know the euphoria was fantastic. I used to look forward to going to run so I could experience that. It was great. <clears throat> and there are similar kinds of things in spiritual marathoning. There are times when God meets you and blesses you, draws near, and and does things for you that you only know how to just enjoy. (laughs) But you know, you don't experience the runner's high without intense preparation and effort, without exertion you wouldn't know about that. And even after you've experienced it, guess what? You still have to keep running. You still have to keep exerting yourself. What felt great from about mile one to two didn't feel that way in mile five and six. It was gone, long, long gone. You still have to exert yourself. That's the expectation. Pastor, why are you discouraging me? I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to help you be realistic about what the Christian life takes. Because if you think it's a flowery bed of ease, as the old hymn says, you will not understand why all this nasty stuff is happening to you. Why is it so hard? Why is it so laborious? And you might give up. And I don't want you to give up. God doesn't want you to get up, give up. The writer of the Hebrews doesn't want He wants you to endure. And one of the ways you have to endure is by continually exerting yourself. There are great joys in the Christian life. It is the best life. It's the best life. But it's a hard life. It's a hard life. When Jesus preached the gospel... He said, count the cost. Well, this is one of the costs. It's absolutely worth it. If you take Christ by faith, it will be the best bargain you ever made in life. But there will be some difficulties that come with that this side of heaven. Now, there'll be none afterward. But this side of heaven, there will be some. And it will take exertion, spiritual exertion. Again, there are great joys in the Christian life. But it is always, until death, it is always a race. And marathons, to be finished, have to be continually run with intense effort. Secondly, besides exertion, this picture of... uh, A long distance race requires regulation. You know, if a marathoner wants to win, he has to follow the rules of the race. He has to start at the right place. He has to follow the entire course and he has to finish at the right place. Every once in a while you can see on YouTube or some other place, you'll see some really heartbreaking picture of somebody who's run a very, very long way. And right at the very end, someone points the wrong direction and, and they head off down the side street, and they're, they're this far from the finish line. And they, guess what? They don't, they don't win the prize. Unless they turn back around and get back on the path and cross the finish line, they don't actually get there. You have to follow the regulations about the race. So, too, Christians must begin in, with faith in Christ, and they must follow his laws of love throughout their life. The righteous one not only does live by faith, he must live by faith. If they don't walk or run the path of holiness, the Christian marathoner will not reach the celestial city. Notice this part of the verse at the very end, though, says that the race is, quote, set before us. In other words, God has ordained that Christians ordinarily live by faith for some number of years after regeneration. There are a few, like the thief on the cross and perhaps a few deathbed conversions, you know, folks who um, who don't have to live long. Their, their race is, is a very short one, right? It's a 50-yard dash. But for most of us, for most of us, it's a marathon. It lasts for years, even decades, after regeneration. Most of us have thought once or twice something like, oh, I just wish he'd taken me to heaven after regeneration. I could have been done with all of this. But God set something else before you and me in wisdom and goodness. You see, he wants you to continue on to glorify him, to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, and to bless others through lots of good works. And if every time he saves somebody, they just disappeared, zapped up to heaven, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. So God essentially says here, you know, one of the regulations is, I want you to run. (laughs) I want you to glorify me and obey me. And this is God's way. And it's part of the regulation of our marathon. Here's a third thing. Uh, Progression. Progression. Have you ever seen a runner work really, really, really hard. They're working up a sweat. They're panting. But they're running in place. They're not actually getting anywhere. right? They're never going to cross the finish line. The Christian life isn't like that. You can't, you can't run in place. You actually have to progress. Amen. You have to advance in the Christian life. So the Christian must grow in knowledge, in faith, in usefulness. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. Make every effort. Ooh that, sounds, ooh, that sounds like exertion and hard work that we've been talking about. Yes, that's right. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now listen to what he says. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, there's progression, there's not running in place, there's running forward along the regulated path. They will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this way, there's one path of exertion by faith in the Christian life and it's actively following God. It's obeying and loving him and his people through the entire course of life. And it's growing in those things in the course of life. This is why pastors and Christians who know other professing Christians well, and they've known someone for years and years and years, and they Oh, they really struggle to see any growth. If if you had to point out how has that person grown in knowledge or life, you would say, "I, I, I don't know. Well, that's a danger sign. That ought to concern you. Because the promised perfection is only reached, quote, in this way, as Peter says. So Christian, are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you aren't, and if you never have, how do you expect to progress down the regulated path and receive the reward? That's impossible. Well, here's a fourth one, and this one perhaps is the most obvious. Endurance. Endurance. You need not only exertion and regulation and progression, you need endurance. A race cannot be won that isn't completed. Unfinished marathoners don't get trophies. No participation trophies in heaven. And so it is in the life of faith. A Christian must patiently keep on going under all circumstances. Jesus said multiple times in the Gospels, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance is a need. Again, remember, chapter 10, verse 36, it's not an optional nicety. To fall short is to fail in the race to heaven. In fact, we have to be just like all of our heroes in chapter 11. We have to die in the faith. We have to die in the faith. so this exhortation is a call to run the race of faith to live the rest of our lives from the posture of faith so that we will finish the course and gain the reward now the duty here is to wait on the lord by faith and have our strength renewed and then we will run and we will not be weary and we will walk and we will not faint Now, for our second point, that's, that's our duty. For our second point, i want to give you what I've called a surprising encouragement. There is, in verse 1, a motive to this exertion that we must make. And I find it rather surprising, and so that's why I've called it that. It's found at the beginning of verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I say surprising because this may be the only place in scripture that uses this picture of bygone believers cheering us on in the Christian life. The idea is this. As we run with endurance our spiritual marathon, we should be conscious of the great cloud of witnesses before whom we are running. Remember, they have filled the review stand. There are two words for cloud In Greek, one is for a single cloud, maybe small, maybe big, but floating up there by itself. The other word, the word we have here, is clouds that just form uh, a complete filling of the sky. So these aren't just a couple of people standing or, or sitting in these stands. This is an innumerable crowd. These are all the people of faith that have come before us. These are runners who ran the race successfully. They kept the faith. And they're now waiting for us to finish. Why? So they can be made perfect. Verse 39 and 40. They are cheering us on to complete the course so that together with them, we can receive honor and glory, the promised perfection. God provided something better. For us, apart from them, neither they nor we can be made perfect. They need us to finish. They want us to finish. Now, some object to this understanding of the verse. They think that it leads to us saying we have communication with the dead. But it it doesn't say here that we hear their voices. (laughs) We aren't asked here to pray to them. We are told, however, here very clearly to be conscious of them, to remember them. We're told to be alert to their presence at the victory stand. Really? I should think about dead saints who successfully finished the race? Yes. What do you think chapter 11 is all about? Why is it even here if we're not supposed to remember them, if we're not supposed to imitate them? Yes, yes, we are supposed to think about them. These things are written to inform us, to encourage us, even to incite you to the hope that lies ahead by the testimony of God written for us in Scripture, these great cloud of witnesses, these who are now dead, they yet speak. Oh, we, they, don't, they don't speak with audible voice to us. God speaks for them with the stories of them in our Bibles. That's how they speak to us. <coughs> and they say this, keep going. Don't give up. Remember our trials? Oh, but do you see our triumph? All the exertion, all the endurance, they're worth it. That's what these witnesses are witnessing, too, in chapter 11. So you, individual Christian who sometimes feels so alone, you are not alone. You are not alone. Now you say, well, I, I know that. I mean, I'm, I'm a member of a local church, or, or I'm, I'm pursuing one, and, and I have the Holy Spirit, I know I'm not alone. That's true, that's all true. But do you understand that you are part of the innumerable elect of God from all time and all places? I mean, you're part of a body so big that we can't calculate it in our brains. And it's all of grace that you're in there. And so everyone is joyful for each other all the time. At least we ought to be. Brothers and sisters, you have an innumerable host of the faithful who by their scriptural testimonies cry this, we once struggled as you now struggle. And you will conquer. As we have conquered. They are, I say, a surprising source of encouragement if you are a weary marathoner. So what's the application? This is Pastor Ron. You know what the application is. Get to know Christian history. (laughs) Read Christian biographies. Listen to particular pilgrims if you have to. Find out about your family. Find out about these this cloud of witnesses. Find out what they went through and recognize that you stand on the same basis as, as they do. And, and you've had the same kind of struggles as they did. And, and you're going to conquer like they did. They crossed the line. They sit in the stands. You will too. Amen. How can you be so confident? This is a lot of work. This is really hard. Oh, that's next Sunday. You have to come back. Yeah, that's next Sunday. That's the rest of verse 1 and 2, the how. All right? We'll find three helpful supports to running a, mar- a, a, a faith-based marathon. But again, we'll look at that next time. But just to sum up, let's be clear about this. You've been exhorted from Scripture to keep going in the race that is the life of faith. For some of you, this command from God, and that's what it is, is much needed. Events in your life have made faith seem small, powerless. Some of you have wondered wondered is it even in me at all well you should not be surprised that you sometimes have doubts why because marathoning is exhausting and that's what you're doing you are running a marathon and remember what God commands he also enables again we'll see how next time But our spiritual marathon can be successfully completed. How do we know that? Because others have done so. There is a great cloud of men and women who can witness to the truth of the success that God gives by faith. Dear Christian, you have that as well. So hear the cheers of the witnesses. Take courage from their success. You too can finish the race well and reap the reward. Let's pray.